Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you back to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, an important part of what we do here at Ministry Watch is to provide resources for ministry leaders to help them become more effective in their roles. And that's why I'm pleased to have back on the program Dr. Phil Cook. Phil Cook got his start in media, working on the television program of Oral Roberts while he was still a student at Oral Roberts University. Over the years, Phil Cook has become one of the nation's experts on the use of media in a Christian context. He has also been outspoken on the need for men and women of integrity in Christian ministries. He's been critical of televangelists in particular, and even though he is a media and marketing expert, he says that evangelical Christianity doesn't have a marketing problem. It has a character problem. Phil Cook is a working producer in Hollywood who also has a PhD in theology. He's the author of a half a dozen books on media and marketing and has been a contributor to Fast Company, Forbes, and the Huffington Post. He's also a member of the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences as well as the Producers Guild of America. I had this conversation with Phil Cook at the recent meeting of the National Religious Broadcasters, which took place in Nashville, Tennessee, last week. Phil, always great to chat with you, and you've got a new book out. Tell me about the book. Yeah, it's interesting. It's called Ideas on a Deadline, How to Be Creative When the Clock is Ticking. I've spent, you know, it's funny, so many people wait for the muse to hit, or have. there's this myth out there that, that to be creative, you have to wait till the fire falls from heaven, and you have this brilliant eureka moment. But the truth is, I've spent my whole career working against deadlines. I'm a television producer, and uh, for years, I produced Super Bowl commercials, and I discovered pretty early that they're not going to delay the Super Bowl because I can't come up with a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so, and I wrote the book really to help people understand how to unlock brilliant ideas when you're under pressure, when there's a deadline. And it's not just for creative people like filmmakers or writers or artists. It's for everybody, coaches and teachers and business people, because for me, creativity is about problem solving. It's coming up with a solution and doing it on the clock is what everybody does. And so I just, I sat down and I really wrote about the techniques that have worked for me over the years and have, you know, what the studies indicate, what current research indicates. And it's really a fascinating book. Well, I want to dive into that just a little bit. But first, I want to say, you know, sometimes there will be some people who will hear that, oh, Phil Cook's talking about creativity yep. or being creative, and their eyes will glaze over, forgetting for a moment yeah. that God is a creator yes. and that we are made in his image so that whether you're an artist or a filmmaker right. or a musician or a podcaster or whatever, you're you're mm-hmm. a creator. That is well, part well, of know, what funny. it means to be human. In the first book of the Bible, uh, first verse of the Bible, God chose to introduce himself as a creator. He could have introduced himself as a lot of things. God has a lot of attributes. But uh, I just find that fascinating. And we seem to have lost that. And I think one of the reasons Christianity seems to be marginalized or is disappearing from the culture is because we do not creatively express it well. And when you look back at the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, I'll tell you, the church took a dominant lead in the arts and in music and writing, and that's just not happening today. And so I'm anything I can do to help spark that creativity in someone, I'm, I'm thrilled to do it because I think it's so important. Well, let's dig into the t- We can't, first of all, let's just stipulate for the sure. record, can't say everything that's in the book, so go get the right. book, go read the book. <laughs> <laughs> Shame- um. there, there's the shameless plug there. 
but um, let's, you know, a couple sure. of tips. Absolutely. I mean, somebody's listening to this, they're not, you know, they, they haven't read the book yet, yep, we'll right, say. Yep. They're going, but so <laughs> what, what are some entry, uh, some on-ramps? Well, one of the things that, one of the big principles I talk about in the book is most of us think that creativity happens in our head. You know, we sit at a desk and we beat our brains out tr- coming up with that solution, that idea, that answer that we need. But the truth is, there's so many ways to trigger it outside of our head. For instance, walking. You know, Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard was a fanatical walker. And he, he would he would get up in the morning, work and write, spend the afternoon walking, and he was convinced that's the way he unplugged his greatest ideas. Uh, Charles Dickens, I picked up a great little book in London recently called Night Walks, and he went through a period of insomnia where he would get up in the middle of the night and walk 10 to 20 miles throughout downtown London all night long. And many people, th- you know, say he got his greatest characters for his novels from those night walks. And so walking is a really big way. Uh, The shower is something for me that works. Man, that water hits me, ideas explode. But the funny thing for me was, by the time I got out of the shower, dried off, found a pen and paper, I'd forgotten about the idea. So uh, a girl that works for me in the office... went online and found a company called Aqua Notes that makes waterproof legal pads. So now my productivity is shooting through the roof. Oh, no way, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding. They, they actually <laughs> use a stick on the tile wall of your shower. So um, the, there's so many ways. Driving. Um, it, the, one of the key things that, that, that studies indicate is the thing that wa- the reason walking works or driving or being in the shower is you have to be doing something where your conscious mind isn't really thinking about it. So, for instance, walking, you're, you know, I, I tried shooting baskets when I was stuck on a problem. I, I tried shooting baskets in the garage, and I realized I'm focusing so much on my shot, I'm not thinking of letting my mind really wander. You need to be doing something where your, your subconscious mind can start making connections. And, and that's a really a key, I think. You know, you work so hard on something, but it's just not coming together. And if you go off and do something else and let your mind shift to some other gear suddenly those connections happen. That's why I think dreams are in- incredibly important. Well, I do too. I'm, I've actually become, uh, I don't want to sound too airy-fairy and myst- mystical <laughs> yeah. here, but I've actually become a student of dreams yeah. and uh, read a lot of books about dreams. And, there, you know, there is something about the uh, dr- when you dream, yeah. it's it, it's your brain um, sort of unleashed in a way. It's, you know, exactly. th- those things that you are not, you don't think you're worried about, you don't think you have anxiety about, yeah. but they, uh, or that you're thinking right. about or preoccupied with, but they show up in in dreams. And uh, and, and what, what I learned is you don't necessarily get the complete answer in a dream, but you suddenly, connections start happening. So yeah. I kept a dream diary for many years and I'd wake up, you know, my wife, everybody dreams, first of all. My yeah. wife never remembers her dreams. I have the most bizarre, strange dreams you can ever imagine. And I discovered it's not the dream itself that's the answer for me, but it's suddenly I'm seeing connections that I would have never made yeah. in my normal life. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can we should do sure. a whole show that on dreams be because I, that's become a preoccupation <laughs> of mine. But but Phil, you you said something about the uh, what, aqua notes, yeah. the notes in the shower that I wanted to use that as an on ramp to okay. another part of the conversation. <laughs> this is why I love talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so okay, you get uh, you get ideas yeah. because I'm I'm one of those guys that doesn't have a shortage of ideas, yeah. but I'm often I often get them in places where I can't record them, like yes. when I am driving. Um, and I, I interview a lot of songwriters uh, in particular, yeah. and um, they will tell me that they do voice memos on their yep. phones, they keep a pad in their pocket, um, uh, they uh, you know have various little tips, tools, and techniques. Got any absolutely? Tips, tools, and I, a, a chapter of my book is on capturing the ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a I have a little app on my phone called Captio. You set 
I set my email address ahead of time in it. And so all I have to do is jot down a quick note and it'll email me automatically and it'll show up in my inbox. Um, I always carry little notepads around. I've got a little wallet that, that I have. I'm, I'm showing it to Warren right now. Yeah, <laughs> and it has yeah. little, little notepads on it. And I have a little tiny pen I always carry. Um, I discovered, I met a guy a few years ago at a Christmas party in LA where I live. And he was a very successful business guy from South Africa. And I have the spiritual gift of asking what everybody else is thinking. So I said, so, you know, how did you make your money? And he told me, he said, it's interesting you ask. He said, years ago, uh, my wife wanted to go shopping. He said, I hate shopping, but I love my wife. So I went with her. And he said, after about an hour or so shopping, I went and sat on a bench in the mall while she went into a women's store. He said, I started looking around. He said, this was back in the days of flip phones. He said, I started looking around seeing teenagers use their phone. And this idea occurred to me out of the blue that if they could download their favorite songs as ringtones, that'd probably be, that'd probably really work. He said, so I thought it was brilliant. So he said, I found a brochure on the bench I was sitting at. I wrote it down, put it in my jacket pocket. And at the same moment, my wife called me into the store to look at a dress. He said, I walked in the store and completely forgot about the idea. He said, six months went by, went to the closet, put on that jacket, reached in my pocket, pulled out that note. And I thought, oh my gosh, I remembered. And I thought, I've got to make it happen. So he said, he bought a computer, got the rights to five songs. A year later, he sold the company for $70 million. Wow. And here's the thing. He said, now, Phil, here's the key. Had I not written it down, I would have completely forgot about the idea. And I've learned that ideas are the most fragile things in the world. And if you don't jot them down, how many times do you wake up in the middle of the night with a brilliant idea and you think I'll remember it in the morning? You never do. So I've just learned that what, exactly what you're talking about, capturing ideas, is the most important thing you could possibly do. And I have a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. You know, I once interviewed a songwriter, uh, and his name is Linford. I can't remember his last name. He's the the, the man in the Over the Rhine. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. song, uh, there, there's a husband and wife oh, yeah. team. But I can't remember his last name right now. So if you're listening, I apologize. <laughs> I can't remember your last name. But he said, he said song ideas are like butterflies and that they, they sort of – Pass into your field of view, yeah. and if you don't have a butterfly net with you, if you don't have a way to capture that those butterflies sense. in some way, they will fly Boy, away. That's good. And um, it seems to be that that's, that's what you're totally saying. That's totally the case. Uh, they're so fragile, and they, I, I forget ideas like crazy. So I've just gone. I, I thought I've, I've never forgotten that guy who had a seventy million dollar idea. Yeah, yeah, that, that would thinking... that would uh, <laughs> that'd be a memory cue for me. No I can tell kidding. you that. Well, Phil, let me pivot just a sure. little bit from the book uh, and talk about why you're here. You're you're here to talk about these ideas. Ideas. Sure. Is that correct? You're speaking yeah. here at NRB. What are you doing? We're doing the group? a session this afternoon on documentary filmmaking. One of the things, you know, I, that's my background. I'm a, I'm a, produ- a producer there in Los Angeles. And one of my frustrations is Christians generally have a fairly limited budget when we go to make a movie. But for some reason, we get so obsessed with dramatic films, we use that limited budget to make a pretty terrible dramatic movie when that same budget would make an amazing documentary film. Now, during most of my career, documentaries weren't very desirable. They didn't make any money. But today, with Netflix and Amazon Prime, we're finding that documentaries are some of those popular (coughs) movies that are online. Yep. And so I would just encourage people listening today, if you ever thought about making a movie, documentaries can be incredibly powerful and start conversations, whether it's human trafficking or whether it's hunger or whether it's corruption somewhere. Documentaries can be a powerful tool for that, even beyond a dramatic movie. You know, one of the things that I love about documentaries and about streaming yeah. is that it allow you know if you're going to make a movie for theatrical release, yep. it's got to it's got to have certain it's got to check certain boxes, including yes. the length of it's got to be a certain exactly. length. You know, it can't be four hours long. It can't be you know sixty minutes long. It's got to be sort of in that sweet That's spot true. of eighty to a, 
you know, may, maybe if you're, you yeah. know, some <clears throat> some really big, you can do a two and a half or three hour movie. Right. But with streaming and with docs, yeah. they can be as long as they need Doesn't to matter. be exactly to tell the story. Right. Very good. Yeah. Uh, right before the, the COVID pandemic, uh, we shot a documentary on the rise of Christianity in Asia. A lot of people don't know the story that Christianity was big in Asia long before it was big in the Western world. And uh, we shot in India, Mongolia, China, Korea, Japan. And um, it was an amazing story of really uncovering how Christianity expanded throughout the you know Eastern, Eastern world. And uh, we edited it during the pandemic, and we won a bunch of awards for it. And it was an hour. It was one hour. And so you couldn't, you're right, you couldn't do that with a feature film. And so it worked out really, really well for us. Yeah. Phil, let me pivot one more time and just, you know, uh, you and I have known each other a long yeah. time. You know, I've had you on the program before and, you know, talking about various things. And I know you've been sort of a keen and close observer of evangelicalism sure. uh, as well. And I, I, I couldn't resist ask. I can't resist asking you um, before we break sure. up here. Just, what, you know, what do you see and what are you thinking right now about evangelicalism? There's a part of me that kind of wants to just flush the entire evangelical project right now right. another part of me that can't is unwilling to give up that identity as an right. evangelical it, it's in other words it you know since uh, you mentioned dickens earlier right. it feels like it's the best of times it's the worst of times <laughs> right because we've Absolutely got these true. tremendous opportunities and yet uh, evangelicalism seems to be in something of a state of disarray yeah. you know i wrote a book a few years ago called the way back how christians blew our credibility and how we get it back and one of the things we were trying to figure out how christianity is struggling so much where did we get into this mess and we thought it was a marketing story we're not telling our story well. We're not getting out there. But the more we really studied, we went to Barna and and um, Lifeway Research and Gallup, and we started looking at how Christians live our lives. And we just discover we're terrible at being Christians. I mean, one of the things we discovered was 40% of Christians in the church pew on a typical Sunday read the Bible once a month, rarely or never. Um, we, you know, I look at now, I, after all this study about how little we pray, how little we give, how little we show up at church, I see why the world looks at us and thinks, well, if that's what being a Christian is like, I'm not interested in that. It's like going to Coca-Cola headquarters and everybody there is drinking Pepsi. Um, we don't have a marketing problem. We have a sales force problem. We don't believe in the product. So I think, a, and this is why you're seeing pastors and leaders fail. That's why you're seeing pastors and leaders go off the rails morally. Um, I just think we're really doing a terrible job of being Christians. And I think until we get serious as believers and decide we're going to live the kind of life. I mean, here's the thing. Um, research study after study indicates people convert because they want to be like those people. And I'm thinking when the world looks at us, do they think, I want to be like those guys? You know, I think of, for instance, most of the hot button cultural issues right now are sexual family issues, things like that. And I'm thinking, and yet Christians have such a high divorce rate. We have so many problems in our families. You go to Barnes and Noble, the Christian section looks like a self-help section. It's not really deep theological insight. It's about, you know, how do I make more money? How do I do this? How do I get a job? So I think that one of our biggest problem is we we should be, I mean, what if we became known as the people whose marriages were amazing? What if we became known as the people whose families were incredible and the world looked at that and said, oh my gosh, I want to be like those people. That's what I think we would start turning the tide. Yeah. Well, I, I remember that. But in fact, I had you on the yeah, program whenever you did, did that. But you and your co-author, Jonathan Bach. Yes. In fact, I think we uh, I interviewed you in out in California. Yeah, in your studio. I think so, yeah. And um, so... Uh, 
how we doing? What are we do we getting, do? Is it is it getting better or is it getting? I mean, you, I think your book did a pretty good job of saying what we, you know what yeah. we should do. Well, I guess the question is, are we doing it? Is it getting better, getting worse, or you can you know see what? no difference? I see positive and negative. I, I you know it's so funny. I, I do see. Christians who are getting serious about this and really going out there and doing some amazing things. Um, one of the things that was really interesting to me during the pandemic was the shift to live streaming our services. And it frustrates me that so many Christians still believe it's either or. Either we go show up at church or we go watch on a live stream. It's really both and. You know, I think the, the what I've seen, I traveled the country. I thought we'd be, because we work primarily with churches and ministry organizations, I thought I'd be out of business when the church shutdown happened. But I was flooded with calls from pastors and leaders wanting to know, how do we make this live stream happen? How do we connect with people? And I'll tell you, people that took that seriously are making a huge impact. I, one pastor called me from Alabama, uh, African-American church, great pastor. He said, you know, we have 900 people in our congregation. He said, six weeks into the 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 shutdown, he said, I have 35,000 people that watch us every week on our live stream. He said, I, 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 he said, one and a half million people have seen my Easter message. He said, I'm a pastor, so I feel guilty about saying this, but I'm not sure I want to go back to the building. He said, we're making a greater impact in our part of the world than we've ever made. So I do think it's, it's, a, it's not an either or thing. It's a both and. We just need to get more serious about reaching as many people as possible in any way possible. Well, I, I hear that loud and clear, and I know my, my own little small yeah. Anglican oh, yeah. church, we're, we're on Online as well, we 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 live yep. stream our service, and we By are. By the way, I did a people. teaching with Anglican priests in the UK a few weeks ago. A fifty Anglican priest wanting to know about live streaming. It was really interesting. Yeah, but I will have to say, Phil, and I know you don't disagree with this right. at all. That that you know, Christians are an incarnational people. That's that true. One, of, one of the things that makes Christianity unique is that God became man. He became right. one of us. He lived and walked with us. I, I, while I am absolutely, I mean, you and I are sure. using technology to record this phone call, I, I also worry a little bit, and I'm wondering if you do, yep. about, you know, how technology can enculturate behaviors yep. that are not good for us in the long run. No question about it. And, and always there's concerns. It's never an easy, easy road. Uh, one, one things I have discovered during this whole period is that I do think a significant number of people will probably cut back to one. They'll, they'll probably show up two to three Sundays a month and they'll cut back one or two a month and stay home and watch on the live stream. <clears throat> There's no question people got used to that and enjoyed it. And I'm not crazy about that. Where I want to see a live stream make an impact is when my wife and I travel around the world uh, producing movies and stuff every Sunday morning, she'll wake up and we pop open the laptop and we can engage with our service back home. Right. Um, when I think of the college students that are away at college that want to check in or business people who are traveling, I just think there's so many opportunities there. And during the pandemic, through live streaming, people got to see churches and pastors and speakers that they would have never experienced before. And so I think that's all good, but we do need to show up. I'm a big believer in the fellowship thing. Well, I know you are because I know, because I know you and I know you're, you know, you're low, you're a churchman and, 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 and believe in that. And, and I, and I will admit, you know, even in my little church, we've, we've, since we've gone back to live services, we've been back for a while now. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot of new families and we will ask them, Hey, how'd you hear about us? So they said, well, we started watching you during the live stream whenever, whenever we were, you know, at home and, and yeah. couldn't go anywhere. We started watching during the live stream. We liked what we saw and we thought we'd come check you I'll out. I'll tell you once. something funny. I've spoke to, I've been with a number of churches recently who I was at a church in Pittsburgh and the worship leader said, um, we're getting everybody back. He said, but they're all different faces. Yeah. He said, when I yeah. get on stage on, on Sunday morning and, you know, start leading the music, he said, I, I don't recognize anybody out there. So we're seeing a 
people are coming back, but we're seeing a huge shift, and they got to experience different forms of worship online during the pandemic, and so I think we are seeing some significant shifts out there. Yeah, that makes sense to me, too. Well, well, Phil, it's been great to visit with you again. It's always oh, nourishing to me and, and thought-provoking. Uh, anything I'm not smart enough to ask that you want to <laughs> say that I didn't get to ask uh, you? Um, I don't think so. I'm just, I, I am encouraged when it comes to the digital thing. I do believe we as Christians need to learn to speak the language of the culture, and, and like you say, there's a lot of cautions out there. Social media scares the daylights out of me in many ways. I use it. I'm active on it, although Instagram is shadow banning me right now because they're not yeah. necessarily liking what I'm posting. Mm. But um, I do think that uh, when we learn to speak that language of the culture, it will help. But we need to temper it with, with godly principles. We need to temper it with the Bible. I think that's absolutely critical. That brings to a close this episode of the Ministry Watch Extra podcast. It was almost exactly one year ago that I last had Phil Cook on the program. If you like what you heard today and you want a double dose of Phil Cook, go to ministrywatch.com and type his name into the search engine, and our 2021 conversation will pop right up. As I mentioned at the top of the program, I had this conversation with Phil at the annual meeting of the National Religious Broadcasters, which took place in Nashville last week. In the weeks ahead, I'll be bringing you more conversations that I had at that conference. Ministry Watch is donor-supported, and if you'd like to pitch in to make sure that Ministry Watch remains a viable endeavor, you can do so by going to ministrywatch.com and hitting the Donate button at the top of the page. But if things are a little tight right now, I get it. I've been there myself. There's still something that's easy and free that you can do to help us out, and that's to rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for others to find Find us using search engines. So it's a great way for you to help out, and it just takes a few seconds. And by the way, though I can't respond via the podcast app, I do read all the comments, and they're both encouraging and helpful. So thanks a bunch for that. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Ben Warwick. We get database, technical, and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.